Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hi, welcome back to Out of Line. I'm Annie Friday, and today I am joined by Michelle Zagardo of Food Body Families on Instagram. And um, Michelle, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Annie. I have really enjoyed our conversations on Instagram, and I'm so excited to be here. And I'm so excited to actually be talking in real time so that we can talk about all the things that we kind of allude to in our DMs. Absolutely. And I have to say, like, this is a topic we've wanted to um, record on for a long time. And I kept forgetting, like, who I saw post different things about this kind of food related topic. Um, and then when I found you, I was like, oh, it's all stuff I want to talk about with you. <laughs> <laughs> but today we're going to talk a little bit about food. Um, but before we do, will you give us a quick introduction to yourself and kind of who you are and how you've come to um, talk on the topics of food and bodies and families? Yeah. So my name is Michelle. I run Food Bodies Families on Instagram, and I have a podcast called The Body Confidence Podcast. I have a two-year-old daughter and I have another daughter on the way in like late February. So um, thank you. I'm so excited. And I have a sordid history with food. I struggled a lot with eating disorders and just a very messy, complicated relationship with food that is grounded in my family life. And a family that didn't always totally make sense to me, a little bit of dysfunction, a lot of bit of dysfunction. And so trying to understand the role that attachment plays in how we connect with our kids, in how we connect with food and how we connect with bodies, because I think that food is something for better, for worse, that we have to consume, you know, three to five times a day. And it's also one of the only ways that our kids and that we as kids can find control in our environments Mm. because it's our body at the end of the day. And so a lot of family dynamics can play out at the table and on our bodies. And so my goal is to try to help parents learn to trust themselves, parents who may have been in similar situations that I was in. And then as we learn to trust ourselves, I think that we're better able to trust our kids and trust our kids with food and with their body. Mm. Awesome. That is um, the trusting part, I think is, is the hardest part for a lot of us. And especially those of us who Mm -hmm. grew up in the eighties and nineties, who like, we've seen the whole like spectrum of food options, right? Like when we went through the phase of, um, what was the stuff that would make you like poop nonstop, but we put it in all of our chips and stuff, oh. <laughs> the trans fat, the Lester or whatever, like, you know, like we've gone through so many and, and just how normalized it was the the skinny, skinny models of the nineties and, mm-hmm. um, getting through all of that unscathed was pretty impossible, especially if you were, um, you know, a feminine presenting or identifying person in the, in that mm-hmm. time of life, that's hard. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there are very few people I've talked to who are like, oh yeah, I feel great about my body. And I think my goal is to help us understand why we feel like shit about our bodies. Oh, can I say yeah, bad words? It's okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> to understand why we might not feel great about our bodies and then also try to raise a generation that isn't asking these same questions. I think it's, you know, mm. we're not going to do it perfectly. I think that's impossible. And I think that trying to do it perfectly is part of the problem. But I think that we can open the conversation in a way that it has not been opened before. Mm, I love that. Um, So one of the things I feel like a lot of parents who have kind of lived through that and come out with like finding their own, like I know for me as an adult, I was like for the first time finding what felt good for me to eat. I had been a really mm-hmm. picky eater as a kid. I didn't quite always understand why. I understand now more about my brain, my body, myself as an adult and have like expanded my food options quite a bit. But um, I also know like I when I first started having kids, we were living in a place where um, extreme athleticism was pretty normal and people were really health conscious and so from the moment I I like got pregnant and was showing people had all kinds of comments about what I should be eating as a pregnant person. Mm-hmm. And then with my infant, what, you know, what my best choices were, people just love to impose their ideas of food. And I think you hit it on the head when you were just talking about even your intro of like, I had to learn what felt good in my body and it didn't matter mm-hmm. what other people's, you know, I think some of these things we try to make universal, whether it's like food or even like exercise things like, oh, this is good for everyone. Well, it's not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from the time I had children, like the youngest ages, people were so health conscious that it just was like, like we had a McDonald's in the town that we lived in and it was a town of 10,000 people. Um, so you knew everybody. And like, I would like be so embarrassed if somebody had seen me in the drive-thru of McDonald's where like growing up, we had McDonald's probably once a week for dinner, you know, like, and all of a sudden it became mm-hmm. this food. I was like shame eating. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we've seen and one of the reasons we've wanted to, Candice and I have wanted to record on this topic for a while is how it becomes such a moralized issue. And we mm-hmm. kind of tend to put food into good and bad categories. And I'm mm-hmm. like learning how to live outside of binaries and definitions mm-hmm. that are so limiting. Um, yeah. can you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> All of that. So that I many just things <laughs> that I want to talk about there. And part of it is that I don't think there are studies that I know of right now, but I don't think that anything you can eat at McDonald's is worse for you than like the amount of stress that goes into having a perfect relationship with food or having like the quote perfect diet because the amount of stress that that creates, the amount of um, rigidity of routine can really tax our bodies as well. Mm. And so having a flexible relationship with food. I, I don't know what the right word is. I don't love the word healthy because of the way that it can be so rigid. I really love to say like a balanced relationship with food, a competent relationship with food, um, a flexible relationship with food. And 
like a personal relate, like a personalized mm, relationship yeah. with food, because sometimes all we want to eat is like, like right now in my third trimester, I've been like craving kale and pomegranate salads. And that is like what makes me whole right now. And there are also times when like, like a Big Mac was one of my favorite foods growing up. <laughs> and so there, it, like, it will always have this place in my food landscape and so trying to cut it out and, you know, I have been through those stages. I don't think anything is quite as stressful as, as that binary. And, and like you said, the moralizing of food. So we do have really good data that shows that creating these dichotomies around food, good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, um, can lead kids down a path towards eating disorders because their little brains, it like breaks their little brains. Like they're, they are little kids are incredible at living in the gray area, but if we give them a binary, they latch to it. And I'm sure you've seen this where, you know, kids will start to become rule enforcers. They'll start to become, because kids want to be good and kids want to attach to the people around them and the caregivers around them. And so if, a parent is saying something is good or something is healthy and something is bad and something is unhealthy and good means that you get praise, you know, eating your peas and your carrots and your kale gets you praise while eating ice cream gets you kind of like these side-eye glances that an attuned kid is really, you know, kids are wired to pick up on every single thing that we say and do. And so as they're doing that, they're learning these are the things I can eat with my parent. And these are the things I can eat with my parent. And then these are also the things I can eat with my parent, but other kids are eating. That's really confusing. So then they go out into the world and they're like, how do I take this system that was developed in my family out into the world in a way that still like makes me lovable at home? Does that make any sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense because like you're saying, like as humans, we're all wired for that connection. And we Mm -hmm. know like we, you know, sometimes a parent will call us and this is not even just food related. And they'll be like, my kid told me this, this, and this today. Well, that is a very tailored version of what I know happened because I was there, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. they're tailoring it because they don't want to upset their parents. Right. Like we, we're so Mm -hmm. wired for that connection. And so, yeah, I think like anything, um, they're trying to make sense of it. And so if their parents say, this is food that's not healthy, but then they see their friend eating it, they're going to either assume their friend is unhealthy or doesn't care that they're unhealthy, or they're just trying to make sense of it. Right. And then if they like the way that that thing tastes, then am I bad for liking this unhealthy food? Right. Right. So, so then they're sitting there and they're like, both my friend is unhealthy. And also I like this. So what does that mean? How do I wrap my head around this? Yeah. And so that's where you can start getting like weird food behaviors, like kids sneaking food or kids um, lying about their food intake. Or and, and I think, like you said, like this happens across all domains. I think that people are just now becoming more conscious of how it's happening with food mm. because there is a big movement around autonomy and consent with our kiddos. But I want to see that extended more towards food because, again, it's something that we're doing so many times a day. And it's like actually a really cool way that we can 
enrich our relationship with our kids Mm -hmm. and we can bring them into meal planning or we can bring them into, you know, like what we can enjoy sweets with them. We can enjoy a kale salad with them. We can do all of these things and try to keep it as neutral as possible. It doesn't mean that we're taking all of the guardrails off, Mm -hmm. but it does mean that we are giving them more leeway now, which they're going to have, like they're go at some point, these kids are going to get a car or they're going to get a driver's license, whether it's when they're 16 or 25, Mm -hmm. they're going to have resources and they're going to end up in the McDonald's drive-through every single day of the week if they've never been allowed to have it. Right. Or they're going to go to college or they're going to go to a friend's house. They're going to be in these other environments where there aren't the same food rules that you have at at home. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, and so how do we teach school, them lunch in the cafeteria? Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I can think back to when I was in um, third grade, I had a friend who brought um, Swiss cake girls every day. And that was just not a food mm-hmm. we had in our house. And so I traded her every day. I forget what I, I probably had like an apple and she was psyched to have an apple. And I was so excited to have the Swiss cake girls. It wasn't something I ever needed to tell my parents. Like it wasn't, and my parents, we didn't have like that kind of dichotomy of food being bad or good or whatever, but they didn't care. They didn't need to know that, but I wouldn't have even thought to share that. But I do know that if mm-hmm. kids do that and they think that their parents are going to be upset, they won't share it on purpose. Right. So then you're getting mm. into like, like you mentioned, hiding food and sneaking food and um, mm-hmm. kind of, it, it just goes to, it deteriorate deteriorates the relationship that you have with your kids, right? Like like you said, there's this movement towards autonomy, consent towards open communication. Um, Mm -hmm. And if your kids at, and this happens at a young age, I've seen it happening at ages three, four, five, um, Mm -hmm. where there's some self-judgment and judgment of others based on what Mm -hmm. their food is. Um, So what's like the real danger there? Like what's that starting? What's that seed going to grow into? Okay. Let's talk about that. I also wanted to back up for a second and address parents who are doing this. Like, because I think what I totally whiffed over is that we control our kids' food because we care about them. Right. Definitely. We control our kids' food because we love them. We want them to live long, healthy lives. We don't want them to be exposed to certain things. And so I think that a lot of that control just comes out of like obsession and love and, mm-hmm. and just all of the good things that we as parents want for our kids. And so acknowledging also that like the world is scary, you know, like we're making this in December of 2023 and the world is on fire mm-hmm. and food is the only thing we can control, right? It's one of, you know, like three things that we have any control over is like, do I send my kid to school with a sugar-free, you know, non-dye snack, or do I send them to school with like a fruit roll-up mm-hmm. or what, whatever it might be? And it's, it makes sense. It really makes sense. We're trying to grasp for understanding for control in a world that just where that is not available to us. And so... Just acknowledging those intentions, I think, can help us then move out of it. Because if we're acknowledging that we're all good, that we're all trying to just do our best for our kids, 
then we can move to like, okay, if we want them to, if we want to cultivate a balanced relationship with food, then we might have to move a little bit outside of that or like rethink what that looks like. Yeah. So I wanted to back up and say that. And then you had asked. No, thanks. Where... That's a really, really good point that like, I, I also okay. want to just like take a moment to pause there. Cause that's true. Like we're all doing the best we can. And, and mm-hmm. we're the other pr- part of it too, is we're also all given different pieces of information around this and access to it. Right. So mm-hmm. um, when you all of a sudden go to school and, or wherever you're leaving your house and going to, and you're maybe are interacting with people from different cultures, different backgrounds, they're going to have different access and information around food and, and nutrition also. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my question was more, yeah, like, so getting back to that, like, um, what is the worrisome part of when kids feel like they have to start hiding or sneaking food? So I think there are a bunch of things there. One is that it's going to impact your relationship with food or your and your relationship with your kids. It's going to turn like meals could turn into a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, your kid might be sneaking things. Your kid might be doing things. You're, I think in those moments we have to think about, are we prioritizing connection or are we prioritizing control? Yeah. I have clinical OCD. Like my default is to prioritize control. I want to know with a hundred percent certainty, everything that's going to happen in the future. Like if I could please plan out my life minute by minute, <laughs> I would really appreciate that. I constantly have to tell myself connection over control, connection over control. Like it's the holidays. Like, do I want to do a painting project with my daughter where we have a very specific outcome or is the goal just to make a mess and have fun and connect? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that what we risk is losing the connection. Like we can be a really influential person in our kids' lives. And the question is, what do we want that influence to be? Mm-hmm. Do we want that influence to be such that we're, because our kids are going to disconnect from themselves before they disconnect from us. Oh. The way attachment works is that our kids need us in order to survive. And so they are going to abandon themselves long before they abandon us. Oh, that's such wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. <laughs> and so I think that that is really for me, the big picture, then there's all the food things. We risk eating disorders. We risk complicated relationships with food. We risk all the other stuff, but at its core, what we were, our kids have to abandon themselves if they find out that things are not, you know, if, if they find themselves enjoying things that we don't enjoy. And so in the same way that we want to create an environment, our house where our kids are welcome to love what they love and who they love and all of these, you know, hobbies and people and things creating that same openness around food allows them to stay connected to themselves. Yeah. Wow. Well, and food is such an important piece of family culture and it's a way that we Mm -hmm. can kind of teach our kids either our history or who we are today Mm -hmm. or how we value different parts of the world. Um, And so it is important and it's important that you get to share your values through food with your children. Mm-hmm. How do we do it in a way that we do it without saying someone who's going to do it differently than us is doing it worse? <laughs> like, how do we do that without mm. the moral judgment, without the like shame that comes along with like, you know, I know families who try not to eat processed foods in their homes, which that's really hard because processed is a, a large 
swath of <laughs> a lot of things. Um, but the chickpeas that you eat out of a can are processed. So yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, so and so then, like when they when their children come to a group environment, sometimes they'll look at things that are coming out of you know single use plastic wrappers and and kind of have some judgment on that. So how do mm-hmm. we raise our kids to honor our values without judging others for theirs? Oh, oh my God. And, and... If we could just solve that, <laughs> right? Right. Right this second. Um, okay. So I think one way to do this is to go back to I statements. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything comes back to using I statements or like in our family, this is the choice that we make. And other families might have different resources. I mean, who knows why a family is using single-use plastic containers? We have absolutely no idea. I have a chronic illness. I have narcolepsy, a neurological chronic illness. We do a lot of things for convenience so that we can survive. Does that make me like a horrible, deplorable person? I don't know. Maybe you think it does. Or does it make me a person who's like trying to do the best for my family? And so recognizing, I think it's having empathy, right? Um, One thing I love to recommend is books. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of books with a lot of different bodies, a lot of different foods. There are a lot of different like multicultural food books that you can get. We also try to make, I'm sure that you can find within whatever eating parameters you have in your house or food parameters, you can cook Chinese food, you can cook Korean food, you can cook Indian food, you can do these things and expose your children to different spices. Or you can just say like, these are the foods that we eat in our house. And how cool is it that there are all of these other foods that other kiddos eat. And so just in the same way that, you know, we're a house that skis, you might be a house that rollerblades, you know, like we're all doing something different. We're a house that lives in rural Maine. You might be a house that lives in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And so talking about diversity in so many contexts, socioeconomic diversity, hobby diversity, all of these things, I think is, is a way that we can do that. And so I don't think that we just want to think about it in food. I think that we want to think about it across a billion different dimensions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think another point that just came up while you were talking in my head was um, the idea, like you, you mentioned, everyone's doing this out of love, right? We want our kids to survive. We want them to be healthy. Um, We also, I think most parents who maybe have this kind of happen, it happens by accident. It's an Mm -hmm. inadvertent, like we're not always thinking about other families when we're talking to our kids Mm -hmm. about what we do in our family. Right. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's accidental and it takes them, it it can take parents and caregivers a little bit of time to realize that that's something that has been established, like that Mm. that value on certain foods. Um, So that is an interesting way to think about it with empathy and just kind of treating things differently. And yeah, I mean, I remember a few years ago, we had a, a parent say something about ramen like who even eats ramen anymore and we have a large I mean actually these days especially we have a large population of kids who eat ramen for lunch and I'm like why Mm -hmm. are we shaming people for eating ramen when maybe that's the most accessible food they have or yeah they like it or it's convenient like you said I mean I think that it's really easy to make snap judgments on other people's conveniences and ourselves like Mm -hmm. I think food is a space where we tend to deny ourselves 
access to certain kinds of food for whatever came into our heads for for that reason like um mm-hmm. and we battle ourselves with it you've mentioned that like i know recently yeah. i had a friend come in town um an old friend one of my best friends and he brought his own splenda to use with coffee and i was like oh can i have one i love splenda he's like well why don't you have it then and i was like I don't know. I've like denied myself Splenda because in my head, it's going to cause brain cancer. And I'm going to just like be this terrible person if I have Splenda in my coffee. And he's like, okay, you need to lighten up. And that's what old friends are good for. Right. Like, so I actually went out and bought Splenda the next time I went to the grocery store and it's like my favorite way to drink coffee. And why was I denying it? Like, there's no Mm. guarantee it's going to do some harm to me or I mean, Mm -hmm. whatever. Anyways, now I'm getting off on a Splenda tangent. <laughs> we have these things, right, that we like establish. Yeah, absolutely. And then like we battle ourselves over it. And um, that's hard. And it's hard to see in kids. Yes. And I think those like sort of food rules that we all have, whether conscious or unconscious, are things that like this journey, if you're listening to this and any of this is resonating with you, I don't know that I would say that you should jump in in the deep end with your kid. I think honestly that you should start with noticing yourself Mm -hmm. and start practicing. Like, where do you notice the judgment? And then just, again, just notice, just notice, notice, notice. And as you, the more you see that, the more you're going to find the places that you don't trust yourself. And then that's a launching point for rebuilding trust with yourself. And once we rebuild trust with ourselves, then we can start building trust with our kids or we can start to trust our kids. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to trust this tiny human's body when we grew up not trusting ourselves. Yeah. And then I think going back to kids books, I would try to find if you're a visual person finding like visual reminders that you can add to your environment. For me, it's just like, I'm obsessed with kids books. I buy more kids books for myself than I do for my daughter. Like I have the same problem. (laughs) Oh my God. Like my Amazon cart is just like books, bookshop.org cart, like books, just so many kids books. If I don't know how to talk to my kid about a topic, I'm like, I need to buy a book, like one or 12 kids books. Exactly. Like someone has figured this out. And so For me, that's my reminder. If you listen to podcasts, if you like add a podcast about food, add the Body Competence Podcast. I mean, not to pitch The Body Competence Podcast is a good one for you to tune into. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, like listen to this one more consistently, but just finding the ways to expand your world. Because I think at the beginning of the food journey, like we all need that expansion because so many of us are used to restricting. It's so natural to be like, I'm cutting this out. I'm cutting that out. And I always encourage people to try to take a mindset of what could I add in instead of saying like, I'm just going to cut out a bunch of these foods. What if we tried to add in more foods that you were trying to, you know, instead of saying like, I'm going to cut out TV. What if we tried to tried to like add in coloring or tried to add in like, I don't know. Have you heard of diamond art? I've been doing, we've been, we do like diamond art with our kiddos at the clinic. Oh my God. I'll I'm send you a link later. Up. Yes. Okay. Next oh episode, God. we'll be talking about diamond art folks. <laughs> Perfect. But just like, what can you add in instead of cutting out ice cream? Can you add in something else? So thinking about that. I think I just talked myself in circles. Yeah, no, that's okay. I, you, you just gave so much good stuff right there. Um, 
And I think that is a really important, the awareness, I think is where we kind of started that point. And that is like, it's the start of everything. You can't Mm. go forward without awareness. And I think, like we said, because it's something that happens like out of love because our Mm -hmm. kids are so reliant. Like we, we have to be in control of our kids' food on some level. Like we have to feed Mm -hmm. them. Um, And we, we do it inadvertently. So like just bringing the awareness to like, maybe you just said, Oh, I don't want to eat this crap. Talking about like a piece of pizza or something. And you didn't even realize you said that, but then there are young Mm -hmm. people around you who pick up on that. And then they think, Oh, pizza's crap. I can't eat pizza. Um, and so oh, to that, yeah. to that, I would say in the same way that we say like repair, 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 it's never too late to repair. It is never too late to go back to your kid and say like, I'm learning something new. Mm. I'm learning something new about food. Whether you have a two-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 15-year-old, you can say I'm changing. And like, what an incredible example for our kids yeah. that we are always learning. Like we are learning from the people around us. We are learning from them. Like they can be our biggest teachers and letting them know that I think creates that mutual respect, mutual trust. And again, yes, we are the leaders of the house, all of these things, but we can do all of that in a way that brings them in and prioritizes that connection. And so I think if you say crap, like pizza is crap. And now you're like, oh shoot. I wouldn't beat yourself up about it. I think the next time you have pizza, then you say, oh my God, I think I said something like kind of ridiculous about pizza before. And I had like these ideas in my head that pizza was bad for me for these reasons, but like, I love pizza. And of course it makes sense for me to eat it every now and then. So just remembering that like, it is never, ever, ever too late to have these like micro conversations with our kiddos. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the story's never over. And even just food science yes. and body science, we're learning so much mm-hmm. about all of this still. Um, the story's not over. So yeah. Yes, the story is not over. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love Thank that. You. Well, thanks, Michelle. You gave so much good information. And I think um food, especially at the holidays, becomes a really tricky tricky topic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're eating a lot of it. We're sharing more sweet treats, I think, than other times of year. We're like mm-hmm. eating with people we don't always eat with. We might be seeing people put things on their plates. We want to comment, whatever, whatever, whatever. Just know that, like, you know, if we could give one message to families, um, I think that awareness, that connection, that attachment piece, like those are pieces I didn't even think of us like going towards, but that is all it is. Like that's Mm -hmm. the conversation about food. That's a conversation about anything when we're in relationship Mm -hmm. with others, right? Like connection over control is what you said earlier, right? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I need to get it tattooed like on my forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure it's backwards. So when you read in the mirror. Right. Exactly. Um, Well, thank you so much for this very brief conversation on food. I feel like we could go on like a whole year of food podcast episodes only. Um, body competence podcast is your podcast. You talk Mm -hmm. not just about food there, but a lot about food and nutrition and healthy body stuff. Yeah. We talk about sex. We talk about consent. We talk a lot about, um, trying to live in a world that of a lot of oppressive systems, trying to have what it means to have a body in an oppressive in, in a web of oppressive systems. Mm, Okay. Amazing. 
anything else that we need to know about from you? Your, your Instagram is food bodies, family, families. Yep. Food bodies, families. We could find you there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for having me, Annie. I can't wait to. Congratulations on your coming baby. Thank you. Um, All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Um, This is out of line. Have a great day. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.